Rhonda, it's it's so exciting to get to talk to you. Big fan of your work, and but also the work you've done, particularly with my foundation and our community, the organisation, um, have actually been very pivotal in projects in the LGBTIQ disability space. So it's a it's amazing to me to know your, the role that you've played in in all of those spaces. But before I go too far off. Oh, wait, oh, sorry. My name is Ruby Mountford. Uh, I'm a non-binary autistic person and I work in LGBTIQ and disability inclusion in LGBTIQ and health spaces mostly. Would you like to introduce yourself and some of the key, uh, the key spaces that you, you've been working and moving in? Um, I, I think if you could introduce me, Ruby. I sort of don't know which bits to pick. Do you, do you mind? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. It's because I've been looking at your whole history. But so You've, uh, you've become, you're a senior policy officer in the Victorian Council of Social Services. You've moved to being an executive director of the Maya Foundation, chief executive officer for, for the Commission for the Future, uh, and then you're also the chief executive officer of the Victorian Health Promotion Foundation, the founding chief executive officer of Our Community, an organisation that provides support to not-for-profit community groups. And in 2012, you were made co-chair of the National Disability Insurance Scheme Advisory Group on Eligibility and Assessment. You've also chaired the Royal Women's Hospital. You've been a I'm saying this, you're a member of the expert four-person panel that developed the Victorian Charter of Human Rights and Responsibilities. Uh, you've chaired the Federal Government's National People with Disability and Carers Council, and you've been a board member of the National Disability Insurance Agency and principal member of the Independent Advisory Council uh, to provide advice to the NDIA about the importance of self-determination, social and economic inclusion, peer support and contemporary living models, including the right to a mainstream life for people with disabilities. Um, what have I missed? You're also uh, a commissioner. You're, you're a commissioner. Well. It's a big one. <laughs> you're also a commissioner of the Royal Commission into Violence, Neglect, uh, and Abuse and Exploitation of People with Disabilities, which is ongoing. Uh, and so you've been involved with that, I think, uh, since it, since it began. And uh, if I look in, <laughs> you've, your career has spanned decades and a lot of very high positions in spaces that have been really pivotal in a in Australia's. Um, attempts to really do better in disability inclusion. So it's, again, it's so exciting to, thank you so much for, for finding the time and having a chat with me today. Oh, I'm really delighted to be with you today. You know, it's, um, I was thinking earlier about, you know, my journey um, as a lesbian, you know, over many decades, of course, and how um, important it is to have joy and to have yeah. the Pride Centre, and to have communities, and um, to hopefully have those communities be really inclusive. And maybe we can talk a bit more about that. Absolutely. I think it's that because it's access to community spaces, isn't it? The access to the spaces where we can find joy, the station, but also the feelings of joy and feelings of pride. So. On that, I suppose, what does celebrating the International Day of People with Disabilities mean to you? I mean, aside from, do you get a lot of speaking engagements on the day or is it something that is more personal? Well, it's quite a personal day for me. Um, I can remember back, because when you read out that list, it's partly because I'm old, and so I can remember <laughs> back to the International Year of People with Disabilities back, I think it was 1980 or 1981, and, you know, people with disabilities were really, really not recognised at all as being people, I think that's true, as being people yeah. and people who 
ought to be included in everything that goes on in Australia. We were a long, long way from that. So, you know, it's been a huge struggle. I still don't think we're there. And um, I think that therefore this day is really important to celebrate what we have achieved, but also to remember what we haven't and to really um, get more determination and more... Um, you know, fightiness to make sure we go and get what ought to have come ordinarily, you know, to just as humans be part of the community, you know, fully part of the community, not not shut away, not not put places, um, but really out there with everybody else. Um, yeah, visible, I think, in that sense, isn't it, um, of well, being a visible yes. and integrated part of the not that our absence is noted as opposed to being assumed to be normal I think is how I thought of it sometimes yes yeah it's visible but also welcomed so yes really feel a part of things so fully welcomed yeah it's I I think of the the you know the riddle Dorothy riddle scale around you know beliefs around uh, originally homosexuality and, and you know, that sense of moving from disgust through to like, like tolerance and acceptance and, and then nurturing and, and celebrating uh, for, like, you know, for queer people uh, or for like uh, the LGBTIQA plus space or how internally we need to find that sense of pride, which can be hard to do if the idea of celebrating us is still so distant, I think, for, for a lot of the, the average person would still doesn't quite understand why there's a need to have a lot of celebration around there. But I suppose what is it? Look, this might be a big question, given again, like your career and the spaces you've moved in. So, what have community changes? How how do you feel community attitudes have changed? And also, specifically on the intersection of how community attitudes have changed to, you know, the intersections of disability to the understanding that you know we have you know sexual orientation at all, but also you know gender expression, and that we can be intersex, we can be from different backgrounds that that disability itself is a hugely broad area. How do you feel things have been changing there? Well, I think that your point that you made um, a second ago about mm-hmm. how important it is um, to have, you know, to, to have that internal um, sense of pride, I think that's incredibly important. And then mm-hmm. there's the external attitudes. Look, I'm not sure. Um, you know, I can't answer that saying that things have improved with attitudes um, enormously. I still think people with disabilities um, are not accepted completely in Australia. Yeah. And um, yeah. I, I, do, I don't think all is well in the attitudes department. And as far as attitudes go, I think there's nothing like getting people out and about and into the world. And in some ways, if that has to happen, making that happen, and then attitudes change. Like even from the very earliest time in our lives, you know, you have little children with disabilities going to school alongside everybody else, and then attitudes change because the children without disabilities realise that, you know, we're all just in there together, We've all got differences and, you know, attitudes change from that point on that goes right through the life cycle. 
So, yeah, but I think there's a long way to go. And um, yeah. I found that very moving, you know, what you just said about um, the whole gay space and the journey yeah. and how hard it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that it was recognising that, you know, self-acceptance was just a step and it wasn't the final destination has been a very big part of my own journey with disability. And I think um, I think finding, I think it's very hard to celebrate on your own. I think you need to see other people being able to celebrate and recognize, you know, that there are people who have a lot in common and have found ways to embrace the parts that maybe we've been made to feel aren't, you know, aren't good enough or should be hidden or are shameful in any way. And I think there's so many parallels there with being gay, with being bisexual, with being trans, with being a lesbian, with having an intersex variation and with, with being having a disability. And I know that I couldn't have got to where I am with disability pride without having to have found my pride as a queer person. Do you think for you that there's been a, a journey that has had a parallel there or has one helped the other or informed the other at all? Look, I think now that you talk about it, I think, yes, I think they have informed each other. And I think that um, both worlds are really important because it's tremendously valuable to me to really um, participate and feel so empowered and so supported by people with disabilities everywhere. Like it's really very, very important. Um, mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it's also really important to be um, feel included in the LGBTQIA plus community so that um, and I, I think that that second is still really hard, um, as it is in many, many community um, areas, you know, where people with disabilities, are they completely accepted? Um, is that still something that needs to be worked on? Like, are, are they employed in businesses, you know, that yeah. um, LGBTQI um, a plus people own and run and manage, you know, are they, um, you know, there are very practical things that could also spin off from that. Mm. I think there is some movement there, but it, I think there is a, it's only been a very recent awareness of the existence of people with disabilities in the LGBTIQ community, like within the community itself. Uh, at least that's been my, the kind of how I've, I've seen it, there's definitely an uptick. And again, like young people, uh, and access to the internet has allowed for a, a vast increase in understanding and, and literacy really in, in disability and things like, you know, captions on videos are now so much more common than they were even two years ago. And do you think that COVID and, and the, you know, the lockdowns and the, and the change to how we lived our lives I remember reading an article that said that really proved the social model of disability because suddenly everybody was living in an environment that was unideal and had to be accommodated for as opposed to that just being the issue that a minority group has to deal with. Do you find that there, do you think that there's been learnings there that have improved things or, or um, well, at least in so far as access? There has also been a lot of issues when it comes to actually supporting people with disabilities during COVID, um, which is something else that I think is really worth talking about, but um, I'm just, I'm wondering from the position you're in, what you've seen change insofar as the understanding and use of, of, of you know, video calls and, 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 conference, and like video conferencing and these things that have been used for disability advocacy and organising for, uh, for some time. 
Well, Ruby, I do think um, people have reported, people with disabilities, that their world has opened up um, in all sorts yeah. of really good ways. Um, and so it's maintaining that as well for those that have really enjoyed it, um, ma making sure that continues and doesn't get wound back if we ever, if we can ever move into a post-COVID phase. Um, mm. But it's also, I was very struck by the Pride Centre and the mm. way I felt people with disabilities were really included in the development of that centre. And I think that was a big step forward. That was great. And, um, yeah. you know, some people might think it could have been more, but I think it was a really good um, lot of work that's been done. And there mm -hmm. is a welcoming feel in that centre, I must say. And while I think that the internet and um, all of the technology is really excellent and for some people it's absolutely essential in that, you know, they find it very hard to get out, but still being included in face-to-face -face environments and social events, you know, yeah. where in, um, things to do, you know, with meeting people, those places are also really critical and you know there must be a way of sort of checking those or all those events you know are there people with disabilities at them in the pride center when the events happen if yeah. not why not like just keeping on reflecting about it because being included in that community when that is also your community as well as a, a people with disabilities world it's also that world for all of us who identify, um, then yeah. I think it's really fundamental to make sure that's working and to keep going. You know, but people with disabilities should be part of the governance um, of everything, including yeah. joy. <laughs> so <to be> honest, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they are, but you know, they've got to be everywhere, really. We do. I think uh, because as you we were saying, do. it's so important. I shouldn't say they. I'm, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, we do. I, I think it's interesting. I, look, and I'm doing that very autistic thing of saying this is a question, but it's just going to sound like I'm making a statement, and it's going to uptick at the end. But I want you to reflect on it. But I hope I can make it into a question. I, I guess when you were talking before about the importance of continuous reflection, I think that's really where it's key because if people with disabilities aren't present, it's very easy to forget to reflect. And the more that that reflection is missing, the harder it is people with disabilities to be there to remind you know everyone else that they have to keep working on it. So I suppose what are some changes we could see that would, aside from sitting in governance, what are some other places you'd like to see people with disabilities? I mean, everywhere I suppose is my initial thought. But what are some other steps we could be taking for a more inclusive community, particularly in these in these spaces that are to galvanise and and create a sense of pride for LGBTIQ plus people of all kinds? Well, uh, this is going to sound a bit tough, but um, are the all the events and um, public parties and, you know, mm. dance parties and whatever, are they in accessible venues? That mm -hmm. would be one question to ask. I think that's really important. Um, yeah. Is just the you mentioned earlier, I think, you know, the hearing loops and audio loops and mm. um, Auslan interpreters, you know, having them available um, for any conferences or anything to do with, um, you know, discussing things and ideas. 
um, that would be very so just um, I don't want to go through you know but just the plain accessibility you know yeah. um, to have to have quiet spaces I know the Pride Centre um, has got that covered mm -hmm. but you know that's really important so people can come to things and then withdraw and you know take the, the space they might need for their disability so it's all all those very practical issues that are signals um, that people are welcome but you know yeah. when there's um, radio I keep going back to joy which I shouldn't but are there um, <laughs> loads of presenters um, with joy who have disabilities um, I'm sure there are I'm sure the answer will be yes but they would be questions um, that joy could ask itself and just to check those so what you know what what are the numbers you know how how are people you know included and um, is there reaching out if, if they need to get to be more and how's that made public and how does yeah. that come down through people with disabilities network so that somebody could say yeah no that'd be fun I'd love to do that and put their hand up and, and go in there so that's a long yeah. you know and you probably know more about this because I'm sure you do it every day Joy. <laughs> I was just going to say I, I just actually finished working on a disability inclusion action plan um, for an LGBTIQ org in, in Melbourne and so I was a part of what I realized of course was so many of those practical steps I think they can seem overwhelming but you know you can if you google like accessible events you'll find so many resources that will help you understand how to do that because I know again as someone who has a lot of sensory sensitivities it can get very overwhelmed in, in, in crowded and loud spaces uh, quite I think it was a friend of mine who runs parties that are called unicorns uh, that was the first time I went to a party with a quiet space and I'm just saying this I suppose to get people to understand how important that was because I could stay a lot longer because I could just go and have catch my breath you know uh, make sure my earplugs are still fitting in right and then go back out there and, and enjoy myself and not feel like I had to push past what was comfortable just to be included and so um and I think it's interesting because to have an idea of number people have to feel safe to disclose and I think this is an issue that again crosses into that you know is shared in the LGBTQA plus community and people with disability communities like people are like oh we're not getting the numbers or we've sent it out and people aren't telling us and it's that have you made it very clear that disclosure of disability uh, is not going to lead to like a negative outcome have you made it very clear that the organization is pro have you made it really clear that you're asking to make sure that if people have needs they know they can voice them and have them met as opposed to you know suddenly finding that you've hit a you know that you're being like politely but very insistently being showed the door there's I think that that's part of it too because if you're not welcoming people aren't going to tell you we you know we don't tend to disclose if we think there's going to be a, a problem like um, and there might be people with disabilities depending on the kind as well like I've got an invisible disability if I don't say it people just assume I'm a very eccentric person <laughs> as opposed to uh, somebody like uh, as a disabled person I get caught up sometimes with a person first versus disability first language um, yeah. which is a whole other yeah internal like you know community debate so I suppose one year from now you've mentioned venues what are some other changes you'd like to see around you know people uh, who are diverse sexually and, and, with, and, gen and with gender identities and with bodies and everything and who also live with disability what change would you like to see for, for, for us and for, and for you what would you like to see improve 
aside from everything, I suppose? That's a broad question. Any kind of a well, particular thing? I think the, the one that's um, hardest to really get at um, is that sense of acceptance. And I think things you've taken this conversation to another level, you know, um, thinking about the internal, it, it, the acceptance of people with disabilities in a community that can sometimes be quite body conscious, I think that's really important. And from my experience over all these years, I think the only way um, that can shift is by discussing it, by having it out in the open. I mean, it yeah. might be a really good thing to even have a gathering to talk about, you know, acceptance of of people with disabilities in and to hear from all the disabled members of this community um, about their their pain and humiliation and difficulties um, and you know for that to be taken in and thought about I think thinking about things is the beginning and then like the a little tiny emerge. royal commission just for us <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> Well, it's like that, isn't it? I, I, yeah. It's sort of like a consciousness raising process more. You know, it's sort of, yeah. um, you know, having an ability to be able to hear about, you know, all the things that have been hard to, to get anywhere with and that have caused yeah. a lot of pain and exclusion because you're right. It happens to both, part, both communities. It ha happens all the time. I, I think, I wonder, in 2020 at the Better Together Conference, which is a, a national LGBTIQ conference, there was a disability keynote plenary, actually. And I think Joy recorded it. So I'm saying this in part because I know Paul's listening. And I'm going to say, Paul, maybe we could make that recording for the day as well, because it was a lot of that kind of sharing of, um, of, of, yeah, of what our experiences are. But how do we get that beyond just a little core, you know, hardcore conference-going queers to like a, to like a broader discussion and one that can, as you mentioned, be body conscious and recognize that there are specific, you know, unique barriers for us in these spaces. I think that would be a wonderful thing to do if you've got a whole session um, where that was discussed to get it out more broadly. And, and getting it out more broadly, I mean, there's two sides to that. One is to do it on Friday. But the other is to pick it up and get it more extensively discussed. And how mm. can this become an ongoing conversation through the Pride Centre? You know, how can that then um, really become? You know, because it's because people become disabled in all sorts of ways. You know, they might be disabled from the word go, um, but they also might become disabled at any stage of life. And so. It's an issue for everybody. It's an issue for everybody in this community, really. Yeah. In, in fact, like I think the recent Private Lives 3 study showed that our communities are more likely to, to live with disability. Like uh, I think it's 22% was it the latest um, of the LGBTQA plus community identified as having a disability. So I think, you know, which yep. is about you know, 5% higher than, than the rest of the country. Like then, you know, and I say that again, just thinking of uh, the non-LGBTIQ plus people, the uh, heterosexual, endosex, cisgender people. So I mm -hmm. think it would be much less scary 
if people knew that being disabled, like being disabled was not going to create barriers, and the best way to do that is to start being a part of the solution, right? You wouldn't be so afraid of developing or becoming disabled if you knew that was not going to mean you were going to be isolated. Ooh, that makes, you knew that would mean you're not going to be isolated, that you are still going to be actively included and celebrated. Well, I suppose I'm aware that, again, I've used a bit of time, but I, what are, I'd love to hear as, a, as you wrap up, Rhonda, what are some of the messages that you'd like to send out to other people with disabilities uh, in that, you know, of all kinds, but specifically, I suppose, with the LGBTIQA plus community, what are, what are some things that have kept you going and you want to put forward? Look, I'd just like to say to other members, um, I'm really um, so sort of overwhelmed by the, by the incredible fighting people do, you know, day by day, you know, fighting for their rights. And, um, you know, just, you're not just, of course, people aren't just fighting for their own rights. They're fighting for the rights of everybody um, who is disabled. And I just think it's really fantastic. Every time um, a person with a disability goes somewhere where they're unsure that they're going to be welcome, in the community, um, they're fighting for rights. Like that's a really brave thing to do, and you know that's leadership. And I just, you know, just want to salute it. I'm just so, you know, it's really big. And so I want to say, keep going. Advocacy is really important. Mm -hmm. Self advocacy is really important. And um, you know, we'll all just keep going. And, and the community is really important, right? <laughs> yeah, and if things aren't improved by the time I, I um, leave this world, I'll have to come back and haunt everybody. <laughs> 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 so that, that would be very undesirable, I think. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel that. It's that I, I, I think community is how I, got the, how I got the fire to fight. And that's why I suppose I, I, I talk about that so much. Because we kind of it can be hard sometimes to advocate for ourselves, but I find it much easier to advocate for others, and uh, and through that find ways to advocate for myself through that kind of reflection. So I just wanted to echo everything you said, and I've been overwhelmed several times in this discussion. So you know that's just been my um, that's been my thing. I think um, you've done really incredible work, and I I salute you uh, wholeheartedly. And please, yeah, I um thank you so much for everything you've done. Well, I'm hoping that. Friday and every day really that it'll be a real celebration of being who we are and proud and you know out and you know sticking yeah. up for ourselves but I think it also needs to be um, a fight an ongoing um, fight for our rights absolutely the fight goes on as it says but sometimes you have to party too and you can do that in an inclusive and accessible way it's totally possible yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Rhonda, and it's been such a pleasure to talk with you. It really has. It's my pleasure, and happy International Day of People with Disabilities. Yay! <laughs> <laughs>